Welcome to MCSO Behind the Badge, an inside look at the Monroe County Sheriff's Office in Rochester, New York, under the leadership of Sheriff Todd Baxter. We're going to talk about what drives us, our leadership culture, our police work, and share some stories of the great deputies and civilian staff that work with us. We're going to talk with interesting guests, and we're going to invite you to engage in the conversation or just sit back, relax, and listen in. Now let's get in pursuit of today's show. Hey friends, welcome back to uh, another episode of our podcast, uh, Behind the Badge, with the Monroe County Sheriff's Office, trying to share with the public uh, who we are, what we do for a living, the great deputies and staff that work with us, and then our partners out in the community. That's uh, kind of where we're going today, uh, a collaboration between deputies and other police officers from Monroe County and, and our mental health folks uh, from Monroe County and some great work they've been doing. Uh, my name is Sheriff Todd Baxter, I'm the Sheriff of Monroe County, and uh, i got a great opportunity to lead an organization, about 1,200 employees and uh, both uh, road patrol deputies, like most people expect, but a jail bureau, a court bureau, and, uh, and a civil bureau. And uh, just a great experience of law enforcement. We do so many different things, and that's what we're trying to do, behind the badge, share who we are, share what we do, share the great people that we're with. Today, uh, I have a co-host, uh, you heard him before, uh, Captain John Kennedy. Good morning, Cap. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I am well. We had a busy couple of days, and uh, we'll probably get into a couple of those war stories here, uh, especially when we're talking on the, on the side of mental health and forensics and crisis intervention teams. And Lieutenant uh, Brian Utterborn, Lieutenant uh, A-Zone 1st Platoon. Yes, sir. Tell people what 1st Platoon is, and then tell us a little bit about yourself. 1st <laughs> uh, Platoon is the overnight shift, uh, 10 p.m. to 6 in the morning. The midnight so, guys and gals, yes, right? I, I should be sleeping right now, but uh, I'm awake in here. Yeah. You're going to stay awake for the whole hour? I will do my best, I, sir. I've, only, I've had we coffee. We 30 and... minutes. I just wanted to test you, see if you're in, <laughs> see if you're in for the game. Okay. <laughs> had coffee. You still got those midnight eyes working, though. People can't see Oh, uh, yeah, I can't get rid of them. <laughs> right. Well, we appreciate what you guys and gals do on the overnight shift. You know, it's like, the, you. Um, it's like the forgotten thing. Which I remember when I was a young cop, that wasn't a bad thing because all the bosses go home and <laughs> the lieutenant owns the whole county. Yes, sir. Sometimes, and uh, that's a pretty cool thing to have that no one's out there overwatching you. You got it. So yeah, I, I appreciate what you do and do for the sheriff's department. And then uh, a lady that, uh, if you live in Monroe County, probably have heard her name somewhere or not because I just mentioned her like three times in the media today alone uh, is Miss Kim Butler, uh, Monroe County Mental Health Office of Mental Health. We got to always throw that in there. And uh, I truly lost track of your title. You had some changes over there. So uh, why don't you tell us your title and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Thanks for having me, Sheriff. Absolutely. I'm the Chief of Clinical and Forensic Services for the County Office of Mental Health, um, which is a pretty great role because it, it's different every single day. I spend the bulk of my time doing the forensic world, though. And you do a phenomenal job, and everybody in law enforcement knows knows Kim Butler, and, and, and we call upon her, I don't know how many times a week, you know, if not more, sometimes many times a day, saying help. Uh, and if, if you think about law enforcement, the calls we go to, uh, the majority seem to be mental health crisis related, you know, a domestic violence call, a, even a criminal action. Uh, a lot of times that's related to a mental health crisis that's creating a criminal activity. Uh, and we spend a lot of time with that. And we've, we, you know, we've grown over years in law enforcement to develop training uh, for our first line officers responding to those types of calls so we can be better at it. But we also are aware that we're not the experts and we call upon our friends that are the experts. And that's where Kim and her team come in and many other people. And we'll talk about the uh, crisis intervention team and the forensic intervention team. Uh, and, uh, you know, let's let's just talk a little bit about those. You know, I, I, I got to mention one more thing. You think about mental health law enforcement. Uh, the captain 
worked in the jail for 30 some years and we did a point in time survey in our jail uh, a year ago and uh, 66% of the people in the Monroe County Jail had a mental health diagnosis or a mental health transport before in their life, or an MHA as we call it, mental health arrest. Uh, that's, that's a phenomenal number from the standpoint, by, boy, we got a lot of work to do out in the community to keep people out of the jail, and also while they're in the jail, what can we do with folks, because most of them are in some kind of crisis while they're incarcerated with us, and we'll talk about some of that. So, Kim, uh, I, you know, CIT, I mentioned the crisis intervention team. Uh, what is it for the people that never heard of it, and why, why is it so important in our community? Well, I think it's at first important for folks to know that all law enforcement before they hit the road or go into the jail, they do get mental health training. So they get that right from the recruit. Um, but if you think about it, you're learning that when you're kind of a blank slate and then you go out and hit the road and it's a whole new world once you're out there. So once officers and deputies are on the road for at least three years, um, they can ask for additional training. And it's important that it's voluntary. Right. If anyone thinks about a training that your your supervisor tells you to go to, you go because it's your supervisor, but it, it's different if you just care and you're intrinsically motivated. Um, so CIT, or Crisis Intervention Team Training, it's a 40-hour training, and we really look at clinical perspectives on what's driving folks' behavior, what may get in the way of them following through with treatment, and then look at special populations like veterans or developmentally disabled individuals, older adults, et cetera. And I think the most impactful part of the training is bringing in individuals who are diagnosed with a mental illness or their family members at a point of wellness. Because officers never get to experience folks when they're doing well. You don't call the cops when you're having a good day. You call the cops when you're having your worst day. Um, So I think sometimes from the law enforcement perspective, maybe they think that folks don't get better, that the system doesn't work because they don't see folks in those moments. So it's a whole new world to experience folks when they are well and hear candidly what worked, what went great, and what was terrible last time I interacted with cops. People don't think about that feedback. You know, you had someone that had a, a, a terrible incident that 911 was called, police officers had to do what they had to do, uh, but be able to hear later on when things are stabilized what it was f- like from their perspective, right? What, what, what worked, what didn't work? What were the police officers doing? What were the, the demeanor, talking points, uh, actions they were doing? I mean, that's powerful. And, and, and we, I, I've been a cop for 30 some years. We never thought about that back in the day. We just went in, did our job, put handcuffs on, put in an ambulance, and someone else dealt with the problem. But really, it's our problem. It's all our problems in society. And the, the better we can be and smarter we can be in law enforcement at that first initial call, which is, like you said, total chaos. That's why we got called right? Nothing's going good. No one ever calls 911 for a birthday party that's going well, right? And we get called for a birthday party that went bad uh, and everything else. Uh, it, it is, it, it's very powerful. When you, I took the class in 2005, and when I took the class, individuals came in. One was in the, in the Monroe County Jail in the past, and he described his experience when he told us that he was suicidal and the, the, uh, the actions that we took to protect him and how they made him feel and, and, and how it didn't help him. And I was glad to tell him that we've changed all those policies and procedures over the years because, you know, you get better uh, each year that you try to get better and, and, and change things. And uh, he was happy to hear that. But it, it was very interesting hearing all those individuals. You know, when we're th- we think we're doing the right thing, we think we're helping them, and you find out you're, you're just reinstituting their trauma. You're, right. you're causing more problems by trying to help them. So getting their perspectives really was, was eye-opening, and it helped us to, to change the way that we do business and change the way that we approach those individuals when they are in crisis and then make sure we follow back and see them when they're not in crisis uh, and build the friendships and the trust and the rapport with them. So the next time it happens, you hope it never happens, but the next time it happens, you've already got that rapport and, and, and things turn out much better, much quicker. Kim, you didn't know I was going to ask you a quiz. So uh, Ooh, if, I like if you're getting any, you're getting any wrong answers, but just off the top of your head, just rattle off some diagnosis 
you know, some mental health diagnosis. I mean, there's so many out there, right? Just, just for the, the audience, right. just nailed three or four or five. Schizophrenia, yeah. bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, to name a few. Just a few. And all those have so much unique things to them, right? And they have so many things that we could do in law enforcement to either help or hinder. And we might not know either one if we don't get the training, right? Just just those things are so unique and so different. And I know you can go into a whole clinical description of each one and why they're so, so vast. But we're in the middle of those calls at three o'clock in the morning. And, and that's where Lieutenant Utterbarn comes in and, 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 the, and leading this team, you know, so we created a team inside the sheriff's office and all the other law enforcement agencies, I believe have it in Monroe County. And we're continuously yeah. growing those numbers, right? Through the yeah. Monroe County mental health. So tell us about the team. Why, why in law enforcement? We heard from Kim uh, why it's important, but uh, so we get the training as police officers and we created a team and we put a Lieutenant in charge of the team. So, <laughs> well, uh, so like Kim was saying, um, we all get that basic, uh, tr- mental health training in the Academy, uh, this is voluntary for those people that want to go and learn more and do more with uh, mental health and the mental health calls that we respond to. Uh, we get that 40 hours of training, like Kim was saying, we get to talk to people who have experienced it, have gone through on the other side, and we get to hear their stories. We get to do some really great exercises. One, uh, you put on headphones that are playing voices and wow. it, it kind of simulates an audio hallucination and then kim is up in the front of the class <laughs> talking and you have to try and listen Comprehend. to kim while wow. everything's going on and so it really gives the deputies and the officers a great inside look as to Jeez. what's going on on the other end of these calls and what the other people are experiencing uh we have about 60 cit trained officers in the department and that number just keeps growing uh, i believe we do about two classes a year where we can train more officers. Those CIT officers, when they hear the mental health call comes in or something that could be a mental health call, we're responding to those calls because we do have that additional training. We do have not nearly what the level of training that Kim and the FIT team has, but we do have extra training in how to handle these situations, maybe how to de-escalate the situation better based on uh, maybe what mental illness the person is suffering from or, you know, other factors. And I always look at, uh, when I look at the, a member of the CIT, first of all, folks won't know this, but you guys, we, we give you a, like an award bar. We, we give you a, a particular bar to wear in your uniform yes. uh, that designates who you are. And when I see those deputies out on the road or a police officer with that, I, I have a special feeling for those people from the standpoint that they've gone that extra step and they're, they're destabilized or they're stabilizers and, and not destabilizers, they're <laughs> stabilizers in, in almost any situation, right? Because they have empathy, they have compassion, they have extra skill. Uh, and almost every call we go on, there's a mental health crisis, like I said. So every police officer and deputy should be trained. Uh, but I think it's very important that these members are volunteers, you know? And yes. So we have this special training, like Kim said, with that extra behind it, they didn't, they weren't told to go. <laughs> they weren't a hostage at this. Right. They want to work with people with, this, with the, going through these difficult things. So it's an awesome team. And I think even on our rundowns, uh, when you when you you look at a rundown at 911, you can see every CIT member on there. You, you yes. can see throughout the whole county. We know who's working and who's CIT trained, and that's how powerful this uh, this is inside any police organization. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Kim, I, I I know how many we have in the sheriff's department, and you do the training for the whole county and all the police departments. Uh, about how many do we have uh, throughout the whole? S- uh, another quiz. You didn't know what's coming. Oh, I'm ready for you, Sheriff. There we go. Um, the expectation and really the um, the stand, gold standard is 20% of officers to be trained, CIT trained. Um, one department is 100% trained, but all departments in the county are at least 20% trained. No challenge, awesome. no challenge, Lieutenant. 
<laughs> we have about 300 deputies on the road and uh yeah that doesn't make 100 percent. so but uh i i again i'll fall back on volunteerism and, and i think it's very important that these people are volunteers it's like a swat team or a scuba team you know we, we can yeah. tell people to come scuba certified but if they're not interested in water and they're scared to death of water you know so we need those people that are committed and give that extra push to it. I think it's important to mention that the individuals that deputies are interacting with, as well as their families, they notice a difference. Yeah. I got a call just this morning, a deputy interacted with an individual who was in the midst of an awful crisis, awful for her, awful for her entire family that was going through it until they called 911. And the mother knew enough after moving here from a different state to call 911 and ask for a CIT trained officer. She said she wanted it because they're the best. That's awesome. They're trained and she wow. was so thankful for that response and the deputy did amazing follow-up after uh, the transport to the hospital. So it's really, it's quite tremendous. Awesome. So we, we talk CIT and then we've been talking FIT. We love acronyms. We yeah, love I know. Them. Forensic Intervention Team. So uh, I'm going to throw it back at you. Why don't you describe and, and tell us what the difference is between the two and, and who these people are. Yeah, back in 2015, uh, the, all of the police chiefs and the sheriff came and they were really wondering, you know, gosh, we really do a great job interacting with each other when there's a crisis forward. But, you know, so many times law enforcement interact with people many, many times before they're brought to the hospital, before they're brought to the jail. Um, so law enforcement can see things going downhill before they have the ability to impact change for that individual. So they asked for us to, to think about forming more of a proactive team. And there was kind of the question, you know, who really is going to interact with some lady from mental health and an officer when no one called 911? Because you call 911, you expect someone's going to come to your door. You don't expect you're going to get an officer or a deputy and a mental health lady when you don't even call. Um, so that first time it was really, we were making it up as we went along and every single person answered the door. They appreciated knowing that the deputies were concerned enough about their call earlier in the day or yesterday. They cared enough that they wanted to come back and follow up. That spoke volumes to them. So from that, we got money from New York State Office of Mental Health, uh, renewable money that we will not lose. And I was going to be one of, I was going to yeah. ask you that question. So we're going to put a plug um, in there, by the way. I don't give money back. <laughs> so initially the team was formed in September of 2017 with three uh, staff that worked the day shift Monday through Friday. The numbers were tremendous. The number of referrals were tremendous. Um, so June of 2019, we added two additional day staff. Um, and I'm never quite satisfied, so we are trying to get overnight and weekend staff right now. Oh, please. That would be great. <laughs> please. Be great. That's a cop asking please. Think about that. <laughs> a road patrol cop. And how that has changed that paradigm over the years, right? And we need you. <laughs> we need you badly out there, and we desire yes. to have that, that interaction. And yes. it can, you know, officers and deputies can interact with fit clinicians at time of dispatch. So someone calls 911, and in that moment, it's clear that they have an issue that they need help with. We can come right out. It's non-billable. Nobody's going to get a bill for seeing us. They can say, you know, in various colorful terms, no, thank you. I don't want to see you today, ma'am. And we'll still show up tomorrow because yeah. maybe tomorrow is a different day. And we'll do referrals. We'll do the linkages to help people because until folks have supports, they're going to keep the calling 911. It's the only number where someone always picks up every oh, single time. Absolutely right. Yeah. It's the um, it's the quickest way to get government to your house, right? And and. Like I said, we go to tons of calls that we, we may not need to be going to, right? And, or bring someone along in the community that's much, much better at than a, than a police officer. And I, I love my cops, and they're heroic, noble people, and they'll give up their life for a stranger at a moment's notice. There's nothing more noble than that, but uh, we're not clinicians, right? right. <laughs> you know, we're not accountants who can't help you with your checkbook, and, and we're not uh, good parenting sometimes. And yet we're sitting there telling people how to raise their kids sometimes in, you know, in the middle of a stressful environment. So uh, it's good to be, to be able to 
be bold enough in our law enforcement community, not just the sheriff's office, to say that we're not the expert in anything, but we can create atmospheres where we call our friends that are experts in those things. Another way that I believe it's powerful, getting back to what officers get out of CIT, um, deputies and officers are able to see individuals after the point of crisis. So we go back after they went out and after we met the individual for the first time. We just went out with a five-year-old out in the county who had a really scary incident. He's five, and he had a scary incident with his parents and with deputies. And we went out with treatment providers, with our FIT staff, and had kind of like a little meet and greet with the family and deputies. We don't want people to be scared of law enforcement, but I think we we both need to see each other's points of view when it's not a crisis. Right. I agree. How how many calls does FIT take on average? Well, it's funny. The pre-COVID and post-COVID are very different numbers. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) Up up until COVID, we were about um, six to 700 uh, contacts each month for our team of five full-time clinicians and myself. This last month that we just passed, there are um, very close to 2,000 contacts for just the month of June alone. Wow. People are struggling, and I think it's it's huge that now there's an option that you don't have to struggle and keep struggling. We can get resources to you. LT, you seeing the same numbers uh, um, what we yeah. call, you know, 1078 calls, uh, mental health calls? Uh, yes. Uh, yes, they have definitely been on the rise ever since uh, this whole quarantine. People are... Getting cooped up, and right. uh, it, it is uh, it is definitely on the rise. You know, I, maybe a little outside uh, mental health, but it's, I find them very interrelated. Is, is addiction, right? And, and we've definitely seen a, a spike in overdoses and spike in overdoses yes. deaths. Unfortunately, we were doing such a great job, and then COVID walked in the middle of it, and, and you took away all those support mechanisms for someone going through addiction or someone going through a mental health crisis, or a lot of times a combination of both. And uh, man, we're see- it's paying the piper for us, and you know, from an addiction standpoint too. So. It is, and there's many folks who are referred to FIT who maybe they don't have a standalone mental health issue. Maybe it is addiction. Maybe it's developmental disability. Maybe it's dementia, whatever it is. Um, the training for officers and deputies is if you're at a scene and you think this person's got some issues, you don't need to know what it is. You think they need help with something to call us. We'll figure out what the something is. Right. And then you get the resources regardless of whether it's a mental health. You can turn them on to other resources if it, if it is substance abuse, if it is an addiction, if it is a, a family problem that's Absolutely. not really a mental illness issue. But, you know, the struggles of, of, of being cooped up for so long, it's hard. Yeah. It's not normal to be alone this long. We yes. all need people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, we are creatures of it. <clears throat> hey, uh, Lieutenant Udburn, here, here's a great one for you. I'm oh, the boy. sheriff, right? Yes, sir. And uh, if you had a dream... Uh, about this whole CIT fit thing, what would you what 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 are we lacking? What do we need more of? What would you put you on the spot? Well, you know, as Kim was saying, she's trying to get more fit fit members on for an overnight. Right. Yeah, I would love to see fit twenty four seven. Right. Um, right now, they do carry around radios, so we can reach them on the air. Um, so the response from them is almost immediate if we need them out on scene. Um, so to have that. 24-7 to have a lot of these other uh, community reach, uh, programs available 24-7. We have a uh, the Behavioral Health and Access Center at the old St. Mary's. Right. Uh, it, it's basically a, a walk-in mental <clears throat> health center. It's kind of like a, a mental health urgent care for people. Right. Uh, but they, again, they're just starting out. So they, they operate during normal business hours. It's not the overnight. It's not the weekends yet. Um, so t- to be able to have all these resources available to everyone 24-7 would be just amazing. Yeah, and even on that, you brought up BHAC. We're, we're, we're trying to create, and it's culture change, and we're trying to develop processes to make it 
uh, more convenient for police officers. But, you know, there's some, again, so low-level low criminality that's occurring. We realize that when we go to a 911 call that this criminal activity is based on a mental health issue. And we can always put the person in jail. That's kind of simple. Uh, but that doesn't solve a lot of the world's problems. And now even with bail reform, they may not even end up in a stable place like jail. And they might need stability. But we can literally take them with, with a couple notes on a job card on your car computer. And instead of making an arrest, it's going to take an hour, an hour and a half of paperwork. You can divert them to the mental health clinician right. place and, and drop them off and they'll take them off our hands in a positive way, not a negative way, but these people are in crisis and, and we just don't want them wandering the streets or back where the areas that, and environments that's helping the crisis. So that, that's a great opportunity that we're trying to develop. And I know COVID, we can blame COVID for the, the slow process there, but <laughs> the idea building. is we need to keep on building those types of diversion programs. Yes. And, uh, and for the taxpayer, it's cheap. Listen, uh, you put someone in Monroe County Jail, it's about 130 at minimum a day. $130 a minimum to put someone in. You can send your kid to Harvard for that price. And uh, I think it's a little cheaper. We could divert people out of the criminal justice system and with the professionals that we need. So, Right. If, if we can get them the help, clinical help and everything, it also may stop that revolving door of just, you know, the petty offenses uh, being committed because of the mental right. health. 100%. Kim. If you had a dream, what would it be? I, I understand 24-7 fit. I'm hearing that. Uh, you talked about funding earlier, you know, and, and we are a proponent. We'll support that any way we can. Uh, where does the funding come from, and, and is it a yearly grant that's, that's supporting this, or is it a continuous, you said continuous from New York State? Or uh, Let's give a little plug. We're gonna, these need to be funded, and, and I think I the public needs it. to hear about it. Yes, give me money. Give me money. <laughs> now you know why we love Kim. So it's, the money is renewable funding from New York State Office of Mental Health, so we'll continue to get it every year. Um, and I, what we need is we need more of it. Um, if you think about the cost of one individual um, going back and forth to jail and the hospital, the cost of the ambulance, the cost of the judge, the clerk, the attorney, the deputies, the officers, all of those costs, I tell you what, I know many a people that it's less than the cost for an entire other shift for them alone in one year. So I think it's not so much new and additional money. We need to spend our money wiser. So we do need money. We're already spending it, though. We're just spending right. it in ways that aren't working. Yeah, and years ago, we uh, deinstitutionalized mental health, which was a good idea, I think, right? These, some of these folks didn't need to be institutionalized, but we definitely, I, I believe, didn't do the right thing by people when we started you know, eliminating programs without creating sufficient resources in the community to fill that gap because the, the, the need does not go away. We talk about the same thing when we're talking about other things. You know, people want to talk about de you know, defunding police officers, right? And crazy thought. But the standpoint is, I would not have a conversation. I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a hard conversation for me to have and say that if I can get 10 more fit, train people, I might be able to take a couple deputies out of my budget. And don't kill me, deputies and unions that are listening to this. But the point I'm making is, do all the deputies need to be responding to all those calls, or would the money be better spent by the taxpayer to have more fit people? And then we go to the calls we have to go to for safety reasons or to clear it for you and let you in. Or, But yet you take all the burden from us. You know, we're there to make sure it's safe. Like we do a medical call right now and see you later. I'm in school. We're out the door. And, and you spent the next two hours there working your magic instead of a police officer trying to do that. And so when people talk about funding and funding sources, or the, the big term now, defunding, I think it's a negative connotation. But if we want to sit down and be smart about how we're spending taxpayers' money, because that's what it is at the end of the day, I'm more than willing to have those conversations, you know, on, on many facets. Uh, but it can't be a I negative, mean, emotional thing. Defund the police. It, it's emotional. How about let's sit down and see how taxpayer money, because this is taxpayer money, and every deputy is listening that wants to yell at me right now or every, you know, but I want to take some of these. We, we go to calls 
you know, I always use the simplest one, not the simplest job for a deputy, but a death notify, an out-of-state death notify. That is that is on the burden of a police officer, you know, gets a call from another police department out of town and, and notifies to a parent that their loved one was killed in a car accident in South Carolina, as an example. You know, why does a police officer, or do we need to have a police officer doing that notify? But those are conversations you can have, right? Or would it be better to bring a, a clinician or a knock on the door uh, or a pastor, right? Or anybody else as opposed mm-hmm. to a police officer and, and things like that. So, you know, those are the conversations I think we got to need to be bold enough in our community and have and, and not be offensive to our cops that are all yelling at me right now. So, No, you're I, right. You're 100% right. And what has to happen with that deinstitutionalization, the problem was the money that was supposed to be diverted to the community to help those individuals in the community didn't get there. That disappeared. Right. It never got there. Um, I actually was at a class in which I got to listen to one of the people that was behind that entire process, and he said, you know, we failed because the money didn't get where it needed to be. And so you just got transit institutionalization, which means they came to the jail. You know, in 1960, there was 93,000 people in the state hospitals, um, mentally ill people in state hospitals. In 2005, it went down to 4,500. Where did they go? Right. You know, everybody didn't get better. It'd be nice to say that they all got better, but they didn't. Um, so they have to go somewhere. And, you know, when we start treating mental illness as a public health issue instead of a public safety issue, we're going to win. That's when we're going to win, Sheriff. I've had this week alone two clients call and ask me, do you have fit overnight yet? Because they know if they could schedule their crisis from 9 to 5, I'm sure they would. But they can't. <laughs> it comes when it comes. So the clients are asking too. But, and you, you won't, you're too humble to say it. But you take phone calls 24 hours you a day, do. and yes. you take phone yes. calls. I will attest You've to taken that. my she phone does. calls in the middle of the night for working in the jail. You've taken phone calls from other deputies, officers. You don't care who calls you. You're taking phone calls from clients, and, and so does all the rest of your FIT team members. Um, they are phenomenal. Everybody loves them. You know that you are considered our angel, and, and you. you are our favorite person. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I, I honestly, I'll be bold enough to say that uh, CIT and FIT are saving lives. There's no doubt in my mind we're saving lives. We just had a horrific 24-hour standoff uh, with a person that started with a mental health crisis, a parolee, and, and working together hand-in-hand with SWAT teams and negotiators. But Office of Mental Health, they're giving us guidance, right, and, and saying, try this, don't try that. You need to let this guy decompress. Yeah, here's what he wants to hear. Here's what he doesn't want to hear. Um, and, and negotiators using that to their advantage is just a phenomenal tool that probably – I'll be bold enough to save someone's life yesterday. That guy was not coming out of the house for 24 hours, and uh, we had to start using our tools and techniques. Uh, and I think once we started deploying those tools and techniques, we already had hours and hours of good conversation with him, it's at least the best we could have. I mean, he was in a state that was you know, out of control, obviously. But the point I'm making is I think that we stabilized him enough to start deploying our techniques to get him out of the house after 24 hours and when he started to be more threatening to the deputies and, and to himself of uh, physical harm. But I even go back there. When I decompressed my whole self last night and started doing my own debriefing, I'm like, I think not only did he help us with the negotiations, but he helped us bring him down enough that when we started doing our techniques, which are pretty overt sometimes, uh, and he came out of the house, he was actually stable. And he came out, came out and laid down in the grass by himself, as opposed to us having to hit him with beanbag rounds or, you know, throw throw gas, more gas at him or whatever, or chase him down with a, K, a canine if he decided to run. He walked out and says, I'm done, laid down. And, and that's what we want. We want the peaceful surrender. And I give you credit and I give your whole team credit that does that every night, uh, not at that grand scale, but that does it every night with our deputies and our officers Thank throughout you. the whole county. 
Absolutely. Sometimes you have to force the dots to connect. They just don't do it. Oh on yeah, them. and we'll talk. You know, maybe you know, we, we talked about another one called uh, Rock. You know, Rock Tech, and and you know, talking about forcing, and, and that's a, a threat assessment process that we put together here in Monroe County with 26 different agencies to get together and, and walk through a problem. I call them problems. Some situation in our county that's that's boiling to a point that's that's beyond the norm of uh, an HR official that's getting ready to terminate someone at Xerox or uh, a police officer keeps going to his house and, and for a mental health call, and now it's starting to spiral. And it's beyond CIT and, and fit, and we get these a whole bunch of people together in a room twice a month and, and how do we do a threat assessment but an intervention for this a holistic intervention not an apprehension uh, on this person and it's a beautiful thing we'll talk more about that in another podcast but the point i'm making is that took a lot of egos and silos to break down right it took a lot of you know hipaas and ferpas and you know lawyers saying you can't do that it's impossible yet every critical incident we see across america where there's mass killing or targeted violence you can paint the dots or you know connect the dots well ahead of time but that's what we're doing here in Monroe county because your attitude and the attitudes of law enforcement the attitudes of, of all these people are saying we can sit in a room and share information and protect each other but as long as we're trying to be holistic and save someone's life or maybe prevent the next active shooter from occurring. And that, uh, again, a testimony to folks like you and, and the FIT and CIT that we built years ago, now going to the next level in that threat assessment process. And I think we're going to D.C. or where are we going? Dallas to talk about that? Are we going, going to Dallas. Going to Dallas. To bring, you know, See if COVID hangs out. Yeah, we'll we're going to talk nationally about that program, that Rock Tech program, and that's pretty exciting. Um, so with that, I think, uh, are we getting close to wrap up there? We are. We're at the no Miranda zone. No sir. Miranda zone. But uh, I got to give credit to uh, Deputy Tisdale. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know who he is. But I just want to share that uh, he has a great podcast. Yell it again. What's your podcast, Dep? Steeler Nation Live. Steeler Nation Live. And uh, yeah. he's, been doing a, he's been doing a, a podcast of, on the Pittsburgh Steelers, obviously, for, for quite a while. And he helped us put this whole podcast for uh, Behind the Badge together with the technology and and he's now behind the mixer today, so it is always great to have you in the house. LT, Kim, you don't know what's coming next. It's called the No Miranda Zone. No Miranda. <laughs> and if you're familiar with law enforcement, you know there's a thing called Miranda rights. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say will and can be used against you in the court of law, right? Well, here, no Miranda means you don't have a right to remain silent. you got to answer my questions, and we're going to use it against you in the future. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, just have fun. So it's rapid fire, and uh, you just answer the questions. No wrong answer. It might be humorous. might not. So we'll start out with one real simple, real simple. Favorite football team, Kim? Baltimore Ravens. Okay. Ooh. Buffalo. Ah. Buffalo Bills. Buffalo. Two. How about that? Baltimore and Baltimore. How's that, Tiz? I don't like it, sir. I don't like it, sir. <laughs> Peanut butter, crunchy or creamy? Creamy. Creamy. Wow. The other day we had lots of crunchy, which I'm a crunchy guy. That's awesome. If you had no issues with money, you had no uh, no restrictions, where would you go on vacation, Lieutenant? Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, I, I honestly have no idea. No? Uh, That's good. Yeah. You need to call home and get the answer for you? Yeah, it'd probably be wherever my wife wants <laughs> exactly. to go. Exactly. You're a smart man. It's, it's a public servant That's answer. That's why he's right a lieutenant there. right there. That's why. It's, it's the public Kim, servant uh, answer. No money, no no restrictions. Where would you go on vacation? New Zealand. New Zealand. Why? Obviously the beauty, It just looks beautiful. Yeah. I'd love to swim and snorkel there. Oh, my God. It's a beautiful country. And one heck of a flight, I would think. Last but not least, favorite flavor of ice cream? LT. Oh, uh, mint chocolate chip. Yeah. Briars? Uh, whatever Any? one. <laughs> Anyone. Yeah. That's awesome. Kim? Anything with peanut butter. Yeah? But creamy peanut butter we creamy found out. Peanut creamy peanut butter. Yeah. Well, folks, it's been uh, absolutely great getting to know the fit and the CIT and Kim Butler and Lieutenant Utterborn and Captain Kennedy. Appreciate you being the co-host again. And uh, we're going to get together next week and uh, share some more behind the badge. Great having you guys here. Thank you. especially. Thank you for listening to this episode of MCSO Behind the Badge. 
In between episodes, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Monroe Sheriff NY. Until next week, be safe.